Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of Design Recharge. I am your host Diane Gibbs and I'm really excited to have Sterling Hunley today with me. He's an artist, a painter, a professor, um, an illustrator. Um, he's the director of the art department at VCU and he's taught at the Illustration Academy and is just an amazing artist and I met him about um, 10 years ago in the hallway at uh, in Pollock in the Pollock building um, and so I'm really glad to have you on and I'm really excited about this project that you're working on so why don't you give us a little about a little background on how you started as an illustrator and an artist yeah you know it's interesting I uh, haven't wandered far from home I'm uh, a VC graduate and I went through the communication arts program there and knew I wanted to be an artist. I kind of grew up, I always identified myself that way, except for a, a brief period of time where I thought I was going to be a professional basketball player, and that didn't work out so well. But, um, yeah, I got into college, and, uh, and the moment that I was able to start coupling drawing and problem solving together, I knew I'd found at least my direction to pursue for a while. So um, the first illustration assignments I had it just gave me the opportunity to, to do both of those things. So um, went through VCU's program, and uh, you know, if, if you recall, the, the program used to be quite large back then. Uh, it was design, kinetic imaging, illustration, everything else. So um, since then, it's actually been broken down into different groups, and I'm now a professor in the communication arts department as well. Um, one of the things I realized as a student was you know, I looked around and, and there there just wasn't, um, there weren't a whole lot of recent success stories uh, in illustration. And uh, that wasn't, it's not a statement on the school as much as, you know, I, I just, proximity and location or whatever it was, but um, I started to look around my classmates and, you know, I, I knew that I had something I was working on that people were, were rea reacting to. And uh, I figured I, I'd, better start doing some things differently than other people are doing because just the old suggestion of, okay, send out your postcards and wait for the mail to ring. I, I don't, I don't sit still very well. <laughs> and the idea of waiting for other people to uh, validate my career by calling me um, didn't have a whole lot of charm. So um, I was reading a publication called uh, step inside or step-by-step -step graphics. It's now step inside design. And I uh, came across an article about a school called the Illustration Academy. And I started looking through this work and I was, was blown away by it. I was like, wow, these, these professionals are amazing. And then I realized that they were the students. I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm a little far behind here. So I uh, looked at the faculty they had and it was just top notch, top tier. It was a summer workshop. Convinced VCU to let me uh, transfer my last 12 credits through the Illustration Academy, went out there and made great friends, made some really good inroads into the industry, uh, came back to Richmond, and uh, kind of found myself back where everybody else is. I was waiting tables and using my tip money at the bar and you know, realized that I was kind of on the dead end of nowhere. And uh, then moved out to Kansas City and partnered uh, with some folks out there and um, or worked with some people out there just to Kind of move away from home and have an opportunity to be around uh, Mark English, legendary illustrator, his son John English, and um, so that was kind of the 
formative years in my career, really. And then when I met you, you were moving or you had been living in New York. Um, and I know you were working as an illustrator and very successful illustrator for about 15 years. Um, what was the big change? Like, what was that thing that, hey, I want to I want to do something different? <clears throat> you know, it, it keeps coming back to a large idea and very personal thing, but I can summarize it in a single word. I wanted to be the author. Um, I wanted to be responsible for content. And there's an interesting thing that happens in, in illustration, and uh, what I, I found myself uh, found myself in a situation all the time where, again, I was waiting for someone else to call, and what validated the project or the artwork being created was that someone else initiated the process. So simply the fact that they had a budget and they had a need, it's like, oh yeah, sure, great, I'll do this. And I really enjoyed working within parameters for years. Um, I still work within parameters, but now I'm I define it as a uh, Call it a three-sided box, right? You've got, you've got time, and you've got uh, money, and then you've got uh, the content. And if you don't have a box that's built, we said we've all done this. We've sat in front of a blank canvas or a blank screen. It's like, I'm going to make something. I'm really excited to to do this. I'm, I've got all this stuff I have to say. And all of a sudden, you you have no idea where you're going because you don't know what it is that you're trying to say. So it, it came down to that. I had to figure out through some of my frustrations of pretty much getting to do what I wanted to do in illustration profession, um, say, okay, well, what's next? And what's the challenge? And I'm always looking for new challenges, new directions, uh, an opportunity to, to fail and learn. And uh, I had to take all those things that identified me and I, I broke the mechanism. I walked away from it uh, and it was hard, it's scary. And, I'm still at the rebuilding stage of my painting career, but I feel like this show, my third solo exhibition here in Richmond, is it's a launching pad for me. And this particular show is a convergence of my skill sets that I was identified for in illustration, um, coupled with my offering problem generating, problem identifying, uh, problem solving abilities as a painter and a writer uh, kind of coming together. Cool. Well, um, the great thing about Spreecast is that you can actually chat with us over there. You can ask a question right below Sterling. But another great thing is that we can actually bring up some images. So Sterling, I, I know the he sent me a bunch of images specifically about the St. Hubris project, but he also sent me some about his um, with his illustrations. So we're going to look at those first, and I'm going to pull them up one on one. And if you want to talk about them a little bit kind of give them an idea um, since we're most of us are usually visual people um, and that's what design recharges for just kind of give us a little a jolt um, every week so here's the first one and what happens is you can actually click uh, draw drag your mouse on top of the window and scoot it over so that you can still see sterling if you want and you can um, you just have to move it around a little bit but um and then face, then is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> you can or you could cover mine um but that's how spreecast works so um do you want to talk about this piece yeah this was uh i'll, I'll kind of back up a little bit and um want to say one other thing that's that's pertinent to this conversation um i was recently invited to be a part of uh delaware art museum's 100 years uh, the state of the art illustration uh show 
stumbling with my words today. Um, but um, it's uh, it's a historical kind of uh, slice of what has happened in the past hundred years since uh, the father of American illustration, Howard Pyle, passed away. And uh, I was up at the museum, and I mean, just amazing people to be around, to be a part of this thing. Ralph Eggleston, uh, the art director from uh, Wally and uh, Pixar for during Toy Story and uh, Finding Nemo and uh, Milton Glaser, uh, Bernie Fuchs. Um, it sounds like I'm name dropping, but maybe I am. It's just, I'm still a little bit shocked that I was included in this group. Um, but uh, Mort Drucker and John Cuneo and Peter DeSev. And just a, a really amazing opportunity. Oh, Phil Hale was the, the other. Um, to, to be a part of this, but I was one of two artists who were actually there, um, and I had a chance to speak, and I, I saw this distinct division between Bernie Fuchs and that camp, which was so much about the narrative and the aesthetic, and the Milton Glaser School of Thought, which was about the concept. And as an illustrator, serendipity or just an awareness of kind of different directions that became my mission uh, in, in my career was not to further the divide, but actually see if I could bridge those things together. Uh, the narrative versus the conceptual. So a number of these pieces, some of them fall on one side, which is just the aesthetic uh, storytelling, and many fall on the other side, which is idea-driven. But I have tried to couple those things together and find out where that dividing line is and see if those things could actually mm -hmm. coexist. And so, um, this particular image was it was a commission for a Stanley Kubrick anthology, and um, you know everyone here on Design Recharge, I, I identify myself as a designer uh, who paints or a designer who illustrates more than anything else, and uh, it seems to be the spine of continuity between all things uh, related to creativity. So everything from illustration to drawing to music to writing, um, there is a design uh, to it all that. that really compels me. With this particular image, um, I was trying to find those disparate things and see what how I could create the bridge between these unrelated items. So um, Stanley Kubrick's uh, Full Metal Jacket uh, is referenced in here. There's a real infamous scene of the line pit where these, these bodies are kind of laid throughout. But this, this also references the uh, monolith from Space Odyssey 2001, so the shape, the form, and just to see what happens if I can play with perspective. And there's an obvious uh, Picasso reference to Guernica in here. Um, so I'm always pointing notes from art history and not bashful about saying, yeah, this is an inspiration, but hopefully I've been able to connect some of this. All right, well, we're going to bring up the next one, which I believe is a book cover. Or maybe it's a, a poster. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I was work, fortunate to work with... Uh, a number of theater companies. I, I had a background in airbrushing at theme parks. If you were the DC, then you know Kings Dominion, right? Right. <laughs> I worked up, worked up there for four summers, and uh, when I was there, I fell in love with typography, um, which seems like a weird place to fall in love with type. But airbrushing these forms, everyone else is using stencils, and uh, I shouldn't say everyone, but uh, you know, we had these scripts that we were working on. And I said, well, if I'm going to do this, I want to learn something from it. And uh, not knowing much about typography, I started copying letter forms. And in doing so, I, I was doing a lot of writing at the time. And I very much intentionally made that script my handwriting. So my handwriting now looks like my, <laughs> not airbrush script, but it became uh, a lot 
more interesting aesthetically than my cryptic handwriting was before. That said, I uh, got to the place where, you know, if I'm going to start thinking about wanting to do things like theater posters, then I want to show that I can do it all. I can do the image as well as the type and the design and try to integrate those things maybe in a cohesive fashion. So a lot of theater projects started coming in uh, from there. This is uh, one of many that I did for the Lyric Opera of Kansas City. And uh, I think this particular season I did five or six different posters for them and did some things. I uh, did something for Broadway and everything between. So this particular story, The Pearl Fishers, takes place in a little fishing village. And in this fishing village, there is the king, and there is uh, just a commoner. And uh, there's this, it's this very operatic type of love triangle develops when this uh, mysterious veiled woman enters into the, the fishing village. And they both fall in love with her. The, the pearls play a necklace, uh, ultimately, and, and the two uh, star-crossed lovers kind of their, their liberation. So um, I try to bring all these things in. The, the interesting thing that I found as a hook in this particular concept was the veiled woman, if she removed her veil, it was supposed to bring bad luck uh, to the fishing village. Um, and something along those lines happened, but the fishing net and the veil became kind of this um, visual uh, device metaphor with similarity as well. It allowed me to kind of ensnare them and see the, the tension and the resistance from that. Cool. I really like the type too. I, I wondered if you had um, done that. This is a part of a series, I believe, because um, there's another one that's very similar. And um, do you want to talk and maybe mention what mediums you're using? <laughs> maybe. Yeah, sorry, I didn't, didn't know uh, what the question was, but um, <laughs> I was working for uh, Virginia Living Magazine for quite some time, and uh, it was one of these dream assignments <clears throat> where. I'd worked with Tyler Darden, who was the art director at 64 Magazine. And uh, 64 Magazine, unfortunately, went under. I was working with him on fiction story every issue there. He contacted me and said, hey, I'm art director of the new, new magazine. We have you know, this beautiful, large-scale, um, you know, beautiful print, uh, beautiful reproduction. Um, we want to give you the back page. And, and that's never happened before or since. What do you want to do on it? And I was like, wow. Well, I've got a real interest in drawing. Obviously, the illustration was what life's calling me. Said, so, and I wanted to travel. Said, so how about this? How about you guys pay me to travel around Virginia? I'll find stories, kind of like a visual journalist, and I'll write them, and then I'll illustrate them. Can you pay me to do this? Okay, great. So um, it happened that way for a while. It was it was fantastic. I had my uh, then fiance, now wife, kind of you know she was in these stories, and they were kind of developing and meandering stories that didn't have real focus to them other than they were seeking out adventure. Um, the budget kind of dried up for the travel, and it became a focus on legends and stories related to, to Richmond. Being a huge history buff, I really got into, you know, the, the history of my city. And uh, in particular, this is an illustration of Irene Langhorne, who was one of three uh, very famous Virginia beauties. And there was a, an illustrator by the name of Charles Dana Gibson. And... Uh, he was famous for pinning the Gibson girl, who ultimately dictated fashion. And women would see these drawings. He would do they'd go out and get their hair done up in this um, in the style that he had uh, imagined. Well, he was very prominent. This is back when illustration actually had some serious cachet. He helped found the Society of Illustrators up in New York and uh, was was internationally famous for his illustrations. 
Well, he fell in love with Irene Langhorne. And uh, so this illustration in particular is all about uh, going from Gibson's gal to Gibson's girl. And I even reference uh, some of the stylization in Gibson's pen work in her hair. Um, but this is kind of pulling her, she wasn't obscure, but the idea of pulling her out of relative obscurity into the limelight, because she then went on to become the Gibson girl face from then on. She was his model, and uh, this kind of concept there. Um, the the next image that I think you're going to pull up is the shipwreck piece. Uh, mm -hmm. It wasn't it wasn't a series in the sense that they related to each other. I, I one of the things that I've kind of that I teach and that I've discovered is that this model of ideation and concepts that we have two things that we're trying to see if I get my hands on the screen here two things that we're trying to to pull them together. Um, the, the remix generation will say, oh, we're just rehashing and remixing things that already exist and everything's already been done and we're just finding new ways of packaging it. I, uh, I am very much a secessionist of the remix generation. I, I think that that is a very bleak um, outlook on the arts and the, the role of arts and culture and everything where we're going because it means that everything's been done. Why, why bother? Um, and the only logical conclusion is homogenization of culture and the arts and I, that's, I, I can't buy it. So my interjection to that sounds like we're saying the same thing that okay we're taking two ideas and putting them together. I think that that misses a real opportunity of interjection of self and if you believe what your mama told you that you are unique and wonderful and there's never been anyone else that has ever been like you or ever will be again um, and I do believe that's true for each of us that time and place in which we live, the politics, the movies, the, the music, the technology, it all shapes a unique experience, although the human condition is consistent. That'll always be the same. Repeat themes. We bring something new to this time and place, and that becomes our responsibility to document this thing. So sorry for the diatribe there, but the, the idea is that it's not that the two things have to be originally unique. It's how you as an individual bring them together that has never been seen before. And I think that there's a lot to be said about originality living there in that space. Um, as a result, in my career arc, my personal story arc, um, I've been very deliberate about taking things that I'm interested in and seeing if I can figure out how to build that bridge between them. It relates with career ambitions. So in illustrations, like, all right, I'm interested in concept versus narrative. I come back to this versus that, perception, perception versus reality. Um, you know, any dynamic or counterpoint that I can kind of pull into these things is really compelling to me. And it presents a much larger problem to solve. So we're back to the idea of problem solving, I think, um, which is really my creation because um, I've authored that. So that said, this piece and the last piece were part of a pursuit of mine uh, where I was trying to bridge a couple of different things together, uh, and that creates a common thread throughout a body of work that lasts for a period of time, and that's the consistency that you're seeing there. That, um, yeah, I picked up, I actually did this one first. Um, there was a romance that I was really after there, um, and I wanted to try, try, try to tie that together with the next, and that other piece probably was a year later, uh, maybe six months or a month, I don't even know. Related, but it didn't mean that. Um, so uh, this particular illustration was a story called, uh, called Shipwreck. And this is another one for Virginia Living Magazine. And this is uh, the 
Captain Charlton uh, ran a ship aground in Virginia, off the coast of Virginia. And in that day and age, they didn't really have any means of getting the ship back to the ocean. So they would just let the ship sit there and, and rot. Well, he had a particular affinity for the ship and uh, didn't want to just see it destroyed and, and consumed by time. So he decided that he and his crew were going to live on the ship uh, long enough for the tides to come back in and to reclaim the ship and take it back out to the ocean. Um, his captain quarters were very plush, very ornate, and uh, he went as far as actually having his honeymoon on the bridge of uh, the captain's quarters of the ship. So that's what this moment is. And the little hitch, the little concept, because this is almost predominantly narrative, is I wanted to give, since the, the ship was listing, right, by the tilt of the angle, um, but when you look out the window, you start to realize that, wait a second, we're actually on the ground. There's someone standing out there. That's the little figure in the, through the window. The only reason I put him in there is so that you could see that he's standing on the ground. It's a play of, okay, this isn't actually at sea. It's run aground. What's going on here? So anything that I can interject in there to create a question. Um, I think that the biggest issue that I've always had with illustration is I was taught that illustration is there to illuminate text. Well, that means that the image is relegated or subjugated to text itself and it's secondary. I think that each one is a powerful art form. I think that each one brings a great deal to it. But I also like the idea that together they can actually perform and, and tell a deeper narrative. Totally. All right. Well, we will roll through some of these other ones faster because I want to spend more time on your um, your story that you created. And even though you did, you started working in this manner of writing these stories, um, which kind of is what you've done now. I Did you really write a story for the story of St. Hubris? You know, it's interesting. Um, one of the things that I came across, and I, I, I think I sent you the image. There's one uh, illustration backtrack a little bit. The story of St. Hubris is framed around the Catholic story of St. Hubert. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, I talk to students about all the time that I uh, truly believe is that you need an element of famili familiarity in storytelling. You have to have something. I mean, it, it's kind of where I lose interest in fantasy. And this isn't a, a slam against fantasy. I kind of grew up looking at some fantasy things. But, you know, the distinction between, say, science fiction and fantasy. Um, science fiction is grounded in some type of reality, right? It's, it's in the future, but it's grounded in some type of past reality. Um, fantasy kind of plays by its own rules, and it, it, it's a harder world to access. It's kind of like if you know the rules, and there are rules there, don't get me wrong, um, but the people who are in that world know the, know the rules. And the people who are, aren't, well, you, you, you can't play unless you're willing to commit some time to learn <laughs> So you look at something like um, Pan's Labyrinth is a, a reference I pull up all the time in storytelling where it's a connection of a fictional history paired with a fantasy. And if it was just the fantasy, for me personally, it would have lost me. I actually would have, I never would have seen the movie. But I love that movie because through the, the historical fiction, I'm brought in to say, yeah, I can connect with this. I I see this, I follow the story, and all of a sudden it takes a hard left turn, and you're going down into this fantasy world. And it's that point of the familiar that allows for the introduction of, of, of a wider audience. And I'm not trying to confuse 
uh, what I'm saying with the idea of popularity, because I don't, that's not a barometer of quality, you know, um, but accessibility. Right. Um, so for me, the story of St. Hubert, it's by default, it's kind of riddled with some holes in it, right? So, and this is not anti-Catholicism here. This is just looking at it for what it is. It's a story that's hard to quantify. Um, Vicente, great to see you out here, man. Uh, Garen, great to hear, see you here too. Um, Louis as well. So sorry, I want to say hello to people in the chat over there. Um, so one of the things that I have <coughs> students do as an exercise is this notion of, I call it character containment. And it's me, again, trying to convince young artists that they have something worth saying. Even if they think their story is not so interesting, it actually is. We all have unique methods by which we arrive at some, some place. And in this character container exercise, I start with, okay, draw a stick figure. Make it as simple and you know as basic as you possibly can, truly. Um, and I want this character to, to grow with you. And you realize that the, the fundamental elements of storytelling are character, conflict, resolution. And almost every story can be boiled down to a very simplified equation like that. Once you realize that, you realize, okay, well, let me interject myself and my story as a character. And I'm going to go out, I'm going to go to the grocery store today, I'm going to have some interaction with another human being or a grocery cart or whatever. There's going to be something that happens. If we can encourage these students to start treating this character and face a certain situation, they have four choices, right? You can have the character do what you did, have the character do what you wish you did, have the character do what you wish you hadn't done, or just have the character go crazy and do something that doesn't relate to reality at all. You've become an author. You've all of a sudden written a story because then there is a logical consequence to that action. Um, so this character starts to take on form. We draw them out. They start to develop. They start to take on their own character attributes um, and things that we know. So St. Hubert um, was a story that I came to be familiar with through working for Virginia Living. Patron saint of hunters. Um, patron saint of mathematicians. So we had this violence and we have this pursuit and we have this ambition and we also have this science, right? So that interesting marriage of those two things kind of piqued my interest, right? Plus the fact that St. Hubert went into the woods on, I said Easter Sunday in my video, but it's actually Good Friday. And uh, while in the woods hunting, uh, when he should have been in church, right? There's a lesson there, a moral um, Catholic story, he came across the white stag. And in this white stag, uh, he came to quickly realize that, you know, the white stag actually was God. Um, if the, the viewers, listeners know about the white stag throughout history, Mina, what are you doing here? You should be working. Um, <laughs> the, the white stag is, uh, <clears throat> goes back all, all the way to pre-Arthurian legend. And it's emblematic of that which we cannot obtain. You know, it's the ultimate hunt, the ultimate chase. So here he is squaring off against the white stag, standing still for him, and he realizes, oh, this is God. And the Catholic legend, he falls to his knees, begs God for forgiveness, and uh, soon thereafter gives up his worldly goods. Um, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting story. Um, I was curious about what actually happened in that moment of time, and I don't want to talk so much about what I'm painting while I'm painting, but I will say that the message paired with the story and the symbolism, it's very personal. 
deals with my own personal ambitions, uh, deals with the human condition of uh, our need to always want more and perpetually pursue larger things to our ultimate ultimate personal detriment, uh, or detriment of humanity. Uh, I know it's big picture stuff, but down to the so the story itself, which is really the foil for these larger kind of statements, um, becomes a little bit more digestible, a little bit more palpable than preaching, right? The moment you start preaching to someone, you already have a, an agenda, and I want to leave things in my paintings, unlike the illustration, very open-ended. Um, I think that the function of painting dictates that. You have to have a dialogue with the viewer versus a dictation. Right? In the illustrations, we have limited time, limited space, get the message across. I've got plenty of that stuff in painting, plenty of time, plenty of space. As a result, hopefully I can make the viewer think a little bit. Um, so even in, in method, the techniques, I'm pairing very geometric shapes, they mean something in, in the paintings. Uh, the organic shapes mean something. They, they're emblematic of the story arc and the greater symbolism. So um, anyways, that's kind of where that stuff is coming from and where it's kind of heading. The show that opens up next Friday is the first in the series, and I'm looking huge for, for me, um, nine feet tall, eight feet tall, um, which is a, a unique problem. I have a, I have a picture to show because it is way big, and you're tall. Yeah, I'm not small. You're really tall. <laughs> um, let me see if I can find that. Um, so I just about that kind of grid, you're kind of all these geometric shapes, which it doesn't, I don't see that so much in your earlier work. So is this just a new kind of piece? And I have another image that you didn't send me, but I went and hunted you up on Instagram to kind of see, cause your the process work is just incredible. Um, this is one of the pieces and it, to me, it looks like you're pulling these, you're ripping paper and, and you're making cuts with exactos and you're kind of collaging this stuff together and it does have this a uh, grid or geometric quality yeah um but are these just little studies they, they like are. this here um, i've got that one here hold on one second i'll show you okay and if you're new to spreecast you can actually type in a question in the in the chat yeah, I, um and studies um, but they aren't they're intended as Final works. Um, this is actually the last, the last step here. Um, let me this away. This will be in the show. Oh too. yeah. Um, but it is dimensional. I mean, you can see possibly there's edges all over. Mm -hmm. um, this is. Is it on masonite? This is on a chipboard, uh, and it's it's mm. packaging tape, <laughs> right? Um, so cool. This process is. The most personal process I've ever come up with, and uh, I didn't get it from somewhere. It's something I just uh, had an epiphany one day. I was working on. Actually, I got the other piece over here, but I sent it to you. I think the Johnny Cash piece. Um, yes, I'll name. pull that up. Um, but that image was the first in this process. Big fan of history, also art history. So I'm. I told you I have these these arcs that I'm trying to pursue in my career, and once I exhaust one, it's really interesting because. I know when I've done it, and I, you don't know what you're shooting towards, but when you're trying to bridge these things together and you give yourself a trajectory that's way out in the future, you start to make a mark for that, right? And then when I hit that mark, it's like I all of a sudden lose interest. I don't want to do it anymore. It's like, 
okay, I figured that out. What's next? And I st start moving on to something else. Commercially, it was harder to shift gears, right? Because it's like, okay, well, we're calling you for this thing that you did that we saw that I may have done six months ago, yeah. two years ago. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm doing this thing now. And I, are you interested in this? And they would say, no, <laughs> we're interested in this. So I would do it the way they wanted, but continue to pursue things until I had enough stuff that kind of populated my portfolio and everything else. But this particular image was, you know, it, it was kind of a whim. And uh, what, where it came from is the seed of a thought that was planted by Bernini, of all people, Vatican City uh, sculptor. He's one of my absolute favorites. So I've got Bernini on one end of the spectrum, and I've got Picasso on the other end of the spectrum, right? So just total opposites. And I love them both for different reasons. But I did an illustration for Tyler. This is, seems like everything I ever did was for Virginia Living, but um, I did other stuff, I promise. Um, <laughs> but my best work probably came from working with him because it was so open and so familiar and, and uh, just had a great working relationship. Um, I did a portrait of Johnny Cash. He liked it. It was fine. Um, but I'm a big Johnny Cash fan. I was like, man, this is not doing the man justice. So I had another night to kill before the actual going to press day. And I, I saw, you know, I had chipboard sitting around and I had action tape. It was like, they're the same color. So going back to Bernini, I had found this quote that was very off-putting in the beginning. He said, uh, never have I felled an errant stroke. Wow. That's so arrogant. That is so incredibly arrogant. I've never made a, I've never made a mistake in my, my life, my art. I started thinking about it. It, it, it resonated. I mean, it, it, it troubled me so much. I don't even want to say it resonates. It troubled me so much that I, I thought about it all the time. I finally came to this conclusion. I said, what if? What if what Bernini actually meant? was in order to make good decisions, you have to make bad decisions. And in order to arrive at something that uh, is successful, you have to have failure. So it goes back to this notion of dynamic and counterpoint. And I kind of come, came up with this, this idea for a process or a method of thinking of the law of averages, that everything's an aggregate. And we work so hard in illustration to mask our mistakes. And at that point in time, I was, I was walking around galleries looking for like, Okay, I, I, I get John Singer Sargent's brilliance. I get Degas' brilliance, but I want to know where Van Gogh screwed up. I want to know where he made a mistake and chose to paint a different color over something else. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, this is this is like the other side of the coin. And, and the process became so intriguing to me. So this particular piece and the one uh, that you asked about is a process of I'll do a complete drawing uh, underneath, and I'll like the drawing. I'll be satisfied with it. Uh, and then in this instance, I did the young Johnny Cash first. He had three different periods in life. The middle-aged Johnny Cash second, and the older Johnny Cash third. And each one is a, a blind drawing uh, where I'm not looking at what came before. So I'm just drawing. And once I have all that information, it's like all the good stuff is there. I just have to rediscover it. So I start tearing things away and cutting through it and pulling things up. And um, it's, it's the most fun I could possibly have with painting. Um, and I've been looking for a way, it, it's not the most archival process in the sense that the tape starts to curl up. And, um, so now I've actually found that if I use caustic wax, it seals it, embeds it, and the dimensionality actually starts to play a role because it's, it's thick in places mm -hmm. and others. So it starts to give me a depth of field. Um, 
And so I'm, I'm entering into the place now where I'm actually doing like backgrounds first and laying tape on the foreground. So that the field will start playing bigger part. That's well, that's a really, really cool piece. How big is that? And what other medium are you using? Uh, ink, acrylics, uh, stamps, um, even like the, just the serendipity of this one was on cardboard of all things, right? Um, and uh, if you see in the top right corner there, that's like, wow, I've got, this wasn't my design. I've got this microphone and this variations uh, mimic. I can see the ridges coming through. So I just kept digging until the yeah. came through. But that one's uh, uh, it's 18 by 24, which 16 by 20, 18 by 24 is pretty standard working illustration size. So mm -hmm. you can see the jump in scale is crazy for me. So. <laughs> So this is this is the piece that I pulled. Um, I think I'm one of your backers, so I get these great emails with these awesome images. And you really can't tell how big this is, maybe, but it's big. Like you came up to like the guys, like the the bridal or something or or whatever. Like you're, I mean, you're very tall. How tall are you? Uh, six two. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. Me too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know you're lying. I'm like five one. <laughs> it's it's the internet we'll run but <laughs> but it shows how big um this piece is and i just love that you're always trying this new stuff and even in this process and in this one project the the spoils of saint hubris you've even gone with the kind of tape thing and then you're going um, and you're using acrylics is that what you're using i know in some of your vimeo videos you like those better than oil these are all oils yeah these are giant oils these are oils so, uh some base acrylics and uh, things like that down but um you know i just i, I like put myself into a situation where i can fail uh, and digging myself out of it so uh, first time i ever approached scale as Part of the concept um, was my first solo exhibition, and uh, I don't think I sent you any images there. But it's interesting you're picking up on the faceted elements because that entire first show was um, I, I mentioned before I broke the mechanism, right? So rendering it's like I, I I can render things, I can draw things, and um, I've gotten kudos for that, whatever, right? Um, so you get to a place with that type of thing, and it's like, oh, okay, it doesn't interest me anymore. What's next? And I, I think I'm a perpetual student, and I, I love learning about new things. So um, the first show that I ever did, and I, I'm not sure if I can send you something to have you put it up still or not, but um, it might be too late for us to do that. Um, but uh, I have to pin it on Pinterest, and then I have to pull it back. So I can add it as a link. Um, if you send it to me, I'll pin it to the yeah, pin board. You know, I'm teaching online classes these days too, so we've got something that's a little bit more, less uh, two different things working together. Um, but the, the, right. the particular process that I used for that first solo show, you know, I didn't love everything that came out of it. Um, I love that it, it crushed me. <laughs> um, it seems like a really weird thing to say. It, it totally destroyed my ego because it's like, I don't, I don't have any barometer of, of quality assessment. I can't go to my old bag of tricks. Um, I can't go to rendering. I, I tell people I broke my rendering muscle on it. Um, but it basically what it was is uh, I took these three inch by three inch squares and I created monotypes. I had uh, Jeff Love and Leslie Herman that were my studio assistants at the time. 
helped me out, helped save my life. Uh, those three months we were working on the paintings, but we were making these uh, like three color, three value monoprints. And just like, you know, you go out and you look at the clouds and you see shapes and faces. I, I had an idea of what the content, what I wanted to address, but I didn't know, I didn't have a clue what the images were going to look like. Um, so I started massing shapes together. And I started looking at these little three inch squares like, oh, that looks like a face. And that looks like a horse head. And that looks like a cow head. And, I, and all of a sudden, I, I took these three inch by three inch squares and I grouped them together into six inch by six inch. And I was trying to take, my whole mission was trying to culture chaos. And the chaos was the screen printing, uh, the, the, the monotypes. And the culture was this grid. And I built these giant grids. And everything had to fit within a grid shape. And then I used paint to kind of stitch them together. But they eventually became, each one became a study for the subsequent larger piece of so six inch to one foot to two foot to, to four foot. And these four foot by four foot square paintings. And uh, I learned a great deal about abstraction and where that line is between abstraction and representational through that process. And uh, that image that I sent you, if you have the one, it kind of, it's all these, these three big paintings, it's, First one in the series, but the guy's got a taller hat and surrounded by dogs. You have that um, mm -hmm. uh, one that you can show. Not that one. There's a another, that it? There's another one that where the reds are more saturated. Uh, oh, but this one's based off of it. Yeah, is he's on the horse on this other one? No, he should be standing on the ground. Maybe I didn't send it to you, but um, is it blue? No, it's uh, red, greens, blues. Um, <clears throat> Sorry, my dog's barking. I'm at home today. Um, and dogs are standing around him. Maybe this one? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> interestingly enough, this... Uh, Sorry. I consider this, no, no problem. I consider this my last illustration of my first painting, <clears throat> at least in the direction I want to go. Um, it's one of those things. I was trying for something, and you can see from the personal work I was doing at the time that this abstraction of the shapes and the forms in the background fed into this but then I I've got a dog too I thought it was like, Nikki said the sound effects are quite appropriate <laughs> yes we planned that right. sorry about that <laughs> um, so this uh, this particular image uh, garnered the attention of a, a private collector who came through and he responded to this it happened to be my favorite thing I'd done up to that point and it's another one of those things where I threw a marker out there I had an ambition I realized it's a particular piece, and then it was rewarded. Uh, it just, it's, it's happened that way every single time when I'm on a pursuit. And I have this problem I'm trying to solve. I'll get an award. Like my very first medal from the Society of Illustrators was I was trying to figure out how to bring line and tone together. I did a piece. It's like, this is it. I figured it out. I was like, if I'm ever going to get an award for something, this is it. I sent it up. Sure enough, it was my first medal. It's happened again and again and again like that. And it's, it's just it's weird. You know? Um, and all works. So this particular piece happenstance. Well, sometimes when you put yourself um, out there. Contacting me. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no. You, you sometimes when you put yourself out there, it. it <laughs> <laughs> sometimes when you put yourself out there, it allows it's it is that fear kind of thing and you talk about that even in your kickstarter video that it's just about trying and living and just trying something that's different and that's what but it's about having the guts to do that so that's a one reason you're winning awards for things when you do it the first time i, I think. scare myself to death you know I, I will do anything that it takes to be unsettled and uh you know it, it's 
it's been tough. I, mean, I don't mean to make it sound like it's easy, but once you kind of learn to embrace that mentality of, yeah, I'll fail. I'll fail publicly. I'll, I'll make a fool of myself. That's fine. Um, it, it, you realize that your your life is all these things together, not just that moment in time. Um, and so this, you know, the past three years has been tough. It, it's two years, really, because I, I left illustration, I guess it was two Januarys ago. Uh, my book came out. It seemed like the perfect time to encapsulate one career and start on another. And uh, you'd asked about teaching. I was already teaching. So the teaching allowed me the means to do that. I didn't lose my house or anything, but my income was coming. Right. It, was, it was tough. Um, and uh, I guess there's confidence or faith that your passions and your ambition um, is going to lead you somewhere and somewhere positive. Um, and it's been a struggle. So I, I feel like I'm with this exhibition on the brink of having that body of work together. And I'm going to go back up to New York, just like I did when I was an illustrator. I'm going to, I'm not living up there, but I'm going to make these pilgrimages. I'm going to humble myself again and show my work and get shot down and beat the streets and meet people, make connections and find a, a venue to show these works. And, uh, uh, start this career and we'll see where it goes. I'm, I'm excited. And it's, it's interesting. This Kickstarter campaign has been, it's been crazy because I, you know, you toil away in the studio and you don't really get much feedback. And then, uh, I launched that. I was terrified of launching it. You know, you're making up all these excuses like, well, the, the, the sound's not good enough. And, uh, the video and all this other stuff that I'm not offering good enough rewards. And then all of a sudden, um, I see people in the, yourself included that just they validate your suit and it's hugely humbling and very flattering and exciting and all of a sudden this thing I've been doing in the privacy of my own studio or school studio has a little bit of traction and uh, I mean, that's terribly exciting. Well I think that's the great thing about social media and why I like um, what it allows us to do is you created a following and you had people who backed you and if you go and I'm gonna put this up in just a second but the um, um and I'll put it in the chat so that people can go to the Kickstarter and this is here's the links over there um, and you had and I with Kickstarter I'm not super familiar I know this was your first Kickstarter that you had um, done how many days do you have to to raise your money it's up to you. Uh, it's either 30 or 60, and they actually recommend 30. Um, I think part of why would they recommend 30 is it gives people a finite period of time. 60 days is kind of, you know, that's a long time, really. Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll spend 60 days. Well, and you. No, go ahead. They'll Go ahead. I just say they'll spend 60 days on larger projects like movies or video games where it's just more comprehensive. But for an individual, 30 days is either you're going to do it or not, you know. And how Kickstarter works, if you're not familiar with, um, you back for a certain amount and then they give you something or um, even sometimes it'll be a dollar and you'll get a screenshot for your phone or something. Um, um, but there's all these and you can uh, click over there. But what is amazing is you actually had, um, and maybe it's my cold, but I can't think of what, it's like the stretch um, incentive or something um, you met your goal within on the 22nd of February and I'm not sure when you started it I started on the 21st but yeah it was literally so and you met it in a yeah in a day yeah, it was literally I mean 
It's crazy. It's crazy. It was 24. That's I mean, like I was sitting. I actually launched it at, and I, I don't say this. I hope it doesn't come off uh, arrogant or bragging. It just was. It was mind blowing. And you're right with social media. Um, it's been one of these things. And and you know, just to clarify, <laughs> I haven't met it yet. I mean, I've met the goals, but until it's done, it's not done, and people can take their bids back. Um, so my fear, it was it was really one patron um, that really liked one of the images we can show here, um, who, you know, she wanted to support me and she liked the work and it just, you never know who you cross paths with. And, uh, you know, by happenstance, this, if, if this person holds up, cause I, I really hope it works out. Um, this person was a student of mine mm. from the art department, which is the other school I teach at. She lives in Russia and I'm teaching this, this international online program. And I mean, what a, I can't tell you what it means to, to have someone, you know, when you do an illustration, okay, there, there's a need. Um, we have text, we have images, we have photography, we have a publication, we're trying to sell to an audience and there's a, there's a budget. So everything is, you're doing it. There's a catalyst that, that comes down to a commercial project In painting. It's like someone wants one of your works in their home or museum or, wherever it's going to show or corporate venue but that kind of money i, I just it's, it's not the world you know it's i can't put into words it's 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 deeply moving um and all of the support that i've gotten from people has been i don't know it's it's unlike any feeling i've had um in illustration save winning awards or things like that which is just a recognition of what you're doing. And I, I think that uh, one of the things that, that I, I submission of mine is um, I am a professor. Um, I, I really try to help people uh, and I, I try to take people in. I try to encourage them. I, I Hopefully I'm always there as a, a resource for students who care about their own life, their own careers. And um, maybe there's some karma that's played into this as well. Um, but we launched the Kickstarter while I was at the art department workshop in Kansas City, and I was sitting there watching, just kind of some things coming in. All of a sudden, it was, it was there. And it's like by 5 p.m., 24 hours later, it happened. So it was that's interconnectivity of the world, man. It's amazing. Well, and I think that's one of the things that you're talking about with just people connecting with uh, painting or connecting with an illustration and what you try to do with your students is you try to have something that either you can connect to so it, it makes it more meaningful, it makes it more meaningful to the audience and I think that that's what's great one about Kickstarter but it's also great um, in this is um, like uh, Noah Scalen also a VCU guy um, he did really use social media when he was putting his um, 365 project out and it's the same thing. I mean, in 24 hours, Sterling, that's amazing for, and it's a, it's a big body and a work for you to do. I know you have a show at the end of February. Is that right? The beginning of March. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So how how many pieces how many pieces are part of this um, this thing that you're going to be right now it's, going around? Uh, it's a small gallery. It's a fantastic gallery called Ghost Print Gallery, um, and they're they're wide open to showing different things. Um, but the, the scale of the work, uh, I've got 
nine or ten pieces. It depends on how far I get. They're going to be in the show, which is not a huge show, but um, two of the pieces are eight feet plus. Space fills up really fast. The other ones are, I've got another one that's four feet, maybe five feet wide by four feet tall. Another that's four by three. So I've got four substantial works in there. That, um, and then I've got the smaller pieces that make the scale that you're seeing. And it's interesting, um, relating to scale, I, I, I want to do some pieces that are like that big um, and frame them up. You know, if I have time, I'll do them uh, just like little ink drawings. I, I love this idea of playing, um, you know, coming from growing up on comics and sequential images and everything else and loving movies. I love pace. And one of the things I find in painting is that in a venue like that, with a big painting, you want it to, to kill from 40 yards, you want to kill it from 20 yards and then up close, right? Well, the gallery is only so big, so you, people are going to be like, like this, right? Um, right? But I also want it to, re to, to breathe, and I want them to be able to come up really close and have an individual experience versus a group experience. And there's just something about that dynamic that's really compelling. You'll see it in, in comics where you'll have action, 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 silence. I mean, movies do the same thing. There's a crescendo. So um, I think that that comes back to the universality of, of narrative and design. And, uh, you know, what, sorry to get off topic. Noah, what he's done is fantastic. I, I'm a huge admirer of, of what he's built and very smart, very intelligent use of social media. The way I describe Kickstarter has changed the world for creators because it's taken mm -hmm. speculation away, right? And you're now at the level, if you get some level of a pitch, um, you can seek funding through things that you haven't yet put money out for. So, I mean, there's screen prints and limited edition things. I've got, I've approached the venues, they're, they're ready to go, but we haven't printed anything yet, save the poster, right? Um, so all these things that I'm offering, once they're funded, get made, but I don't have to make them prior to. And uh, that will fund the next iteration uh, of the spoils and the spoils itself the spoils of st hubert's is going to be either two or three exhibitions um so i'm enjoying telling this narrative through multiple pieces over a period of time um at this point in my story i've done just what i told you i'm leading the viewer into the woods up to the moment where there is the interaction with the white stag and there are major sculptural elements that i want to come in the next shows uh, there'll be really big pieces. I have to make sure there's an audience for that. Um, that my audience is ready for, for that. Um, but the pieces that could only live as sculptures, they, they don't make sense as paintings. Um, so, yeah, the, okay, so here's the other thing. Um, Richmond is limiting. Um, I love Richmond. Great arts community. This is not a slam. I'm, I'm personally doing everything that I can to raise Richmond Star. And I, I don't mean to sound like I'm from Atlas kind of trying to carry this thing forward, but um, <laughs> there's a price point in Richmond. You get to about $3,000 in paintings, and anyone selling there knows that you can't sell much over that. You get a few galleries that have exceptions to that, and a few collectors. Um, I want to bring a spotlight from New York down to Richmond, and I want to bring in traffic that lives outside of Richmond. So. If I did a nine-foot painting, I sold it for what I needed to sell it for to make. I mean, that one painting I worked on for two years. 
right? So if someone will see a price tag, like, you're asking that much money for a painting? Are you crazy? It's really not that much in the grand scheme of paintings, but for a guy starting out in painting, it's a lot of money. Um, but when you equate it to two years working on the painting, that's, I'm not going to make anything near minimum wage on it, right? Um, so you have a body of work and things that you're selling. I had to find a way to move beyond the Richmond market to bring interest in from outside. Um, I intend to do this again. I will continue to seek out an audience, and I hope that other Richmond artists do this and say, look, we got something really interesting going on here. And uh, I am, I don't know that I live yet in the highbrow world. I know I don't live in lowbrow. I like this idea of the unibrow, right? This, this notion of something <laughs> that's somewhere in between where we still allow narrative and we still allow, uh, we embrace the notion of craft and skill set, but we are not exclusive to the point of rejecting the other things. It's just that I don't want to jump on the bandwagon of lowbrow because everybody else is doing it. I know a lot of people who are fantastic in that world, but a lot of things, it's like it's, the world's gotten so big. I, I just, it's not a movement anymore as much as just a thing. So um, I think movements happen away from things. And I'm, you have to know what you're kind of pushing against and know what I'm pushing against. So. Well, I hope that you're very successful as you go to New York and you try to show and in other places as well. And Seth Godin, um, a big social media guy and tribe maker and things like that, he, um, you know, kind of went the opposite way with publishing. He had all these people before he, he had the book written. He had all these people say that they would buy the book. And then they he went to a publisher and say, hey, I have 10,000 copies already sold. Um, will you publish the book? And and I think that in a way that's kind of what Kickstarter does is instead of it kind of takes the um, curation out of the the galleries, you know, they limit us by what we can see because of what they want or what they um, what they like or things like that. And so with Kickstarter, great, great place for creatives to to make something um, and to go forward. And when you're talking about little pieces, I uh, Marius Valdez, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he also went to VCU. Um, he makes these little pieces, these little guys that you can get at the show. And it's just that kind of um, that very intimate thing that is created, I think, is is really different and really neat. And I think um, what he has done as well is kind of interesting. I, I want to um, you just I want to just show a couple more images and then we got to go because I try to keep it to an hour. But um, Sterling, you'll just have to come back on. This is the, the exhibition poster, and it has a, a lot of movement in it. Um, and this is a four color. Is this a silk screen? What? Yeah, it'll be a, what is this a screen one? print. It, it was started like these other ones are. That original painting lives in, uh, it's up in the Delaware Art Museum right now uh, in that show. But the screen prints are there. They're, they're for sale as well. We've got limited edition versions of these. But this one's three color. Uh, the other one's uh, four color. Um, but yeah, the, there's a team, uh, there's a group in Richmond called uh, Teammate and Triple Stamp Press. Give them a shout out because they are amazing. And uh, I'm working with them on all the screen print stuff. And uh, love, love, love those guys. So if you're in Richmond or you're looking to business near Richmond, um, check them out. They're, they're fantastic. Cool. Well, here's a couple more images um, from the series. So this whole series you've been working on for over two years or about at the two-year mark? About two years. It was uh, 
when that collector came to my studio, one of the things that he pushed pushed me forward on was scale. And that was really the first time I thought about it. And, you know, just a, a quick aside, you talked about taking the curation over the galleries. I think that's a brilliant um, perspective. I hadn't thought about this validation of we have success now, therefore this is where, you know, this is something that, you know, will sell. I mean, commercial galleries are commercial as well. And uh, they have mortgages to pay and rents to pay and lease or whatever, um, overhead and all that. Um, but this this notion that people are looking to invest to collect something, and if there is a push or a consensus that yes, something has got some excitement behind it, um, then maybe it's it's been vetted a little bit before. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I like that idea of of just visibility and some element of success before going up there, you know, and uh, saying yeah, this this was funded, we sold the show and. It betters your opportunity of actually selling out a show, and if you sell out shows, it's so much more mm -hmm. important than making a lot of money on the show. Um, it just shows, hey, if I want to invest in this artist, I can buy their work relatively inexpensively now. If they go on and they have a huge successful career, the return on investment, and I hate to sound like so much of a businessman, is huge. It's huge, and and completely, con it's something that that uh, collectors can control, because who who do the gallery owners listen to? People who are buying the paintings. Mm -hmm. If the people who are buying the paintings are saying, right. "Sell this artist's work," it's a. I mean, it, it's brilliant. <laughs> it really is. There's a couple more. Um, I just want to, and I just love the geometry in this one. It's um, you're getting a lot of whoop whoops over there. Not necessarily in that. Don't quote me, but a lot of people really like that color palette, and they liked the geometry in the in the one um, before as well. So this one to me has that. You know, are you just putting you know making lines? And is this in your sketchbook like this? Because I know you sketch. You're a big sketcher, or you have in some of your other things. Sure. Um, yeah, the, the drawing has. That's kind of where I am with this body of work. Is I brought drawing back into it, right? And that's it. Really is so. If I were to tell you what my mission was right now, uh, I am. I want to be a designer and I want to be a painter. I'm trying to figure out where those things live. So the geometry and, and the, the facets, everything else, um, open spaces versus closed spaces. Um, those are things that I'm very aware of as I'm kind of moving into this stuff. So, but drawing is um, something I avoided in the first. Well, really, the first solo exhibition. Start bringing it back into some of the screen printing stuff in the second exhibition. But this one, it's I'm, I've figured out how to pair those things together. So the new mission is design and paint. Um, there's a process in painting called planar painting, and it's just like okay, you're seeing the light mm -hmm. in my face, the plane here, that's a facet, right? Um, I'm also using technology. I'm using a program called Sculptress uh, to do 3D modeling. And I'm using um, I'm going to branch out eventually into to Maya, um, trying to bring that into this, maybe even 3D printers at a point, but there is a wireframe that's very relevant in video games. Wireframe to me is a very modern current thing, but it's got direct ancestry to planar painting. Um, and so I'm mm -hmm. using closed planes, and symbolize something again, I don't want to give it all away, um, versus open wireframe uh, and this notion of ambition and trying to culture chaos and um, so they become again a method of painting 
uh, symbolism at the same time. Um, and I guess that's kind of where I think my unique footprint is. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't want to sound so calculating that, oh, it's all figured out. I'll intentionally go through and lay something out and then destroy it and then find my way back into it again. And um, that's just both sides of the coin of creation. Well, I think that's another thing that's great. Um, I encourage you guys to go and look at his uh, stuff for, on Vimeo and he talks about that that unexpected when you're working with a medium and just try it, just go for it instead of just being so apprehensive. I think that that's something a lot of designers, it's about control and we don't want to mess it up. <clears throat> but there's there's something to be said about that, just how it happens and, and letting something happen and, and pushing yourself. Um, so one, I think there's two more um, and then I'll let you go, Sterling. I know I really do. Oh, that that's the video. Okay which I'm not going to play, but um, this is it. So you'll be able to um, plop that. Uh, you'll be able to play this. This is a repeat. It'll be available on um, designrecharge.org. And then you can click on the Sterling Hundley. And I can't remove this from air. Um, there we go. Yeah. So, um, and this is the one. And on the Kickstarter video, I watched it a few times, and I really liked this um, quote. This is, you said, um, you know, there was stuff in your life, and um, where you wanted to really focus on or or delve into when human ambition exceeds human compassion. And then you kind of have this guy with like these. They look like spine. It's like a spinal cord on it, and maybe it's not, or a jaw, or something. I don't know, but it's what a very interesting um, sketch. And to me, as a, I'm connecting to it with something. When you said that, and in the video, you say that exactly when this pops up or something. So, I really, um, I it resonated with me, and I, I think, wow, you know, um, we do have to be business people. We, we want to have a house, and you have a family. You want to, you know, be able to um, keep electricity running. It gets cold in Richmond, um, but I think that there's so much, and I'm so glad that the Kickstarter was good because it and it was successful because it does give you that time to work on and to explore, which I think is great. Um, for designers, I think sometimes and and illustrators, we get stuck. We're like, well, this is what they want, you know, and we don't have time to explore. And that's reason why I mentioned the 365 thing with Noah was he pushed himself to do this extra thing. And and that's kind of where I am with this. Um, it has helped me a lot. Um, you know, I've met people that I didn't meet and hopefully it's helping some other people. Um, and, you know, it's completely uh, I just do it in my own time. I didn't even go to work today because I was sick. So my I see some students of my students here. Um, I really am sick, um, <laughs> but I didn't want to not do this. Um, I haven't missed a show since June. So I think that it's, uh, I'm not a faker, Mary, as I promised. <laughs> um, but I wanted to, to put a couple other, um, not images, there are more images. We'll have to have Sterling back on. Um, but this is Sterling's um, website and um, then he you can follow him on Instagram I don't know if he wants you to follow him but I think you should follow him because it's a, a lot of awesome stuff from the the spoils project as well and then um, if you have any other links that you want to share but again we we do this every week every um, every week this is uh, 
at 2.30 Eastern time, unless I have a specific thing, that's what Design Recharge is. It's, I'm um, a professor, but I also have my own design firm, and I don't get a lot of time to connect, and um, I don't have time to go out because I'm busy, just like you're busy, and you, your time is very precious. So that's why I do this once a week. So I am, you can sign up for my email newsletter at um, designrecharge.org, or you can send me an email straight to diane at designrecharge.org and connect with, um, you can also connect with um, Sterling on Facebook at Blue Collar White Collar. And I'm not sure if you have one specifically for the spoils yet, um, no, a page, but that's like your artist. Yeah, it's just uh, Blue Collar White Collar is, is where things will kind of filter into. So. Yeah, I'm I'm easy to find online. I'm I'm out there too much. Uh, after the show's done, I'll be I'll be offline for a week. I'm going on vacation. <laughs> good, good for you. And I didn't know if you were on Twitter, and I did not have time to hunt it up. But um, are you? Do you have a Twitter handle I could yeah, share with everybody? It's just Sterling Hundley with no space in there. So I think that's it. I don't know. I don't use. Okay. I'm tapped into Twitter somehow. I don't go there very much, but uh, it's a uh, it's easy. In fact, if uh, people just go to my website, sterlinghomie.com, uh, I've got the Twitter feed and Facebook feed coming in there and, and all that. So, Mina, you're the man. Well, <laughs> thank you for being here. Well, Sterling, thank you so much. And I appreciate you guys staying here for a little extra time. Um, and Sterling, we'll just have to have you back. And I can't wait to see what else um, you're doing. And Courtney, I'm glad you came too, even though I, I didn't have you in class today. You got off. So at least you come. She was a painter as well. And now she's a design student. So well, great. You all. Glad everybody could come. And, and thank you for having me. And, uh, and really I, cool thing that you're doing here too. Anytime, Sterling. And we'll just connect back. And I hope you um, get back on your feet and you're um, not falling forward anymore <laughs> so that you keep going. It's my life. So. But I do it to myself. So y'all take care. Thanks again. And uh, uh, if you're in Richmond next Friday, love to see you at the show. All right. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Bye.